welcome to today's edition of Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey podcast where entrepreneurs, employees, business owners, and individuals can become aware and transform their mindset. Welcome back to Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey. I'm your host, Joseph K. Muscat. Are you ready to take a leap with me? One of the many messages I strive to strengthen and advocate for is to improve communication. In every part of our lives, we are communicating. And because it comes so natural to us that we think that we are communicating effectively and that we are understood. When in truth, we assume that we are understood and this is usually not the case. I know despite my best efforts, I'm not always as effective with communication as I want to be. And this is, of course leads into unwanted disagreements and unfortunately, avoidable arguments. This can fall under many various neodiversities, such as my dyslexia or visual perception, where it's because of this, I can have difficulty with social cues or believing my thoughts are reality, meaning that I'm dead certain I've communicated a message, but in reality, it was just a thought I had. I know I'm not alone in this, as many neodivergents struggle with communicating effectively, whether it's getting instructions from an employer manager or trying to express an idea or thought to a colleague or client. This is why I'm pleased to welcome Brendan Kumar Sarmi. Brendan is the founder of MasterTalk. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. He also has a popular YouTube channel called MasterTalk with the goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone in the world. Welcome, Brendan. Joseph, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. So, Brendan, let's give a, a little bit more of a deeper background on how did you get started in being a communication practitioner and a public speaker? Absolutely. So the journey all started, Joseph, when I was in college. I went to business school and I studied the opposite of what I did today, which is accounting. So I was a numbers guy. That was mostly the focus of my life. And I wanted a great job out of university. So that's what I focused on. But in that journey, Joseph, I started competing in case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing football or basketball or rugby or some other sport, I wasn't one of those guys. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students who were in college or university on how to communicate so they would win competitions as well. And I accidentally developed a skill in communication coaching and expertise. And that's what led to Master Talk, the YouTube channel primarily, because I felt that a lot of this information, Joseph, wasn't really available for free on the internet. So I just started making videos and then a few years later turned into what it is today. Oh, fantastic. And it's a, it's really interesting, uh, competition for nerds. So it's, it's a sport. You got it. You can, can you can think of it like that, where it wasn't just giving a presentation, let's say at a Toastmasters club. It's really about you have to go out there and win. And the main reason I competed in them, by the way, was to get a job because I, I realized that a lot of people who had jobs at PricewaterhouseCoopers or Deloitte or one of the big four accounting firms, they had done these case competitions. And I asked them why or what the purpose was. And they all told me, Joseph, that 
all of their executives of these companies, they go and judge these competitions. So if you do a great job, you'll get a job offer. And that's what happened with me. Interesting. Reminds me of, I, know I have a few family members who are lawyers and, and, and friends who are lawyers, and they talk about the debate competitions that they go through in university, all to prepare them how to argue and present and win debating in, in trial. Absolutely. It's very similar. It's just that one has a more of a business context for what I did. But yes, absolutely. Mood court and debate is very similar. Interesting. So let's move on. As you developed your craft and your YouTube channel, you compose some key principles and exercises that you use to coach your clients. Can you share them with us and what they are? Absolutely, Joseph. So let's start with the frame, which is communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. So one of those balls is eye contact, one of them is smiling, one of them is facial expressions, body language, storytelling. And as you can see, Joseph, it gets overwhelming pretty quickly if we try to do all 18 at once. So for me, the question has always been, what are the three easiest balls to juggle? Because if we can juggle those, we can master anything with our communication skills and really take our game to the next level. This is what I call my easy threes. These are three exercises we can all work on on a daily basis to get us to the next level of growth. So let's jump in. Ball number one, the random word exercise. Pick a random word like tissue box, like light bulb, like eye contact, like ceiling, like wife, and create random presentations out of thin air. This serves two main purposes. One, if we can make sense out of nonsense, we can make sense out of anything. That's the main purpose. And the second one is it helps us think very quickly on our feet and helps us deal with uncertainty. So I recommend we do that five times a day. It only takes five minutes. And do it with your kids. If you have any, do it with your nephews, your family members in the shower. We got 15 minutes there. That's ball number one. Ball number two is the question drill, Joseph. We get asked questions all the time in our life, but most of us are reactive to them. We wait for the question to come up and we go, uh, yeah, so that's my answer versus being proactive about it. I'll give you an example with me. A few years ago when I started guesting on podcast, I sucked, I was terrible and I still have a lot to improve on. But I remember some guy asked me, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at the guy and I said, uh, Los Angeles, London, uh, maybe it's Toronto. Like, I'm not sure. So notice how, because I wasn't prepared, I answered something really bad. So instead I took a proactive approach every single day for five minutes a day. I answered one question that I thought the world would ask me about my expertise, my products or my services, just one question. But here's the punchline, Joseph. If you only answer one question every day for five minutes and you do it for a year, you'll have answered 365 questions about your expertise. You'll be bulletproof. Finally, exercise number three, the video message. Pick people that you love in your life. It could be clients, it could be family members, and send them a 20-second appreciation video just telling them how much you appreciate having them in your life. You do all three consistently, you'll be a master communicator in no time. Okay, that's really interesting. So when we take a look definitely at the, well, frankly, all three of them, what you're talking about is basically improvisation and practicing that that improv through the the question drills or, or making sense of, of, of uh, point number one or the video message. Right. I would say that it's improv in different ways. So random word exercise, for sure. Absolutely. You're right. 100% improv. Somebody gives you a word, you make up a presentation on the spot. 
question drills isn't necessarily improv. So you don't have to do it in the sense of somebody gives you a question, you have to answer it. That's the most efficient way to do it. But if you're a little bit scared, you don't really like being thrown questions your way, you could do this alone in your basement and type out the answers. So it's not necessarily improv. You could do, like say somebody gives you a question, you have a list of 30 questions this month and you just answer one of them every day. You could just type it on a, on a Word document if you're more comfortable with that. So that becomes half improv. And the video message, I would argue once again, yes, that is a little bit more like improv. But what's cool about sending a lot of video messages is the video message is the same. It's just, you're just swapping out the name. Like for example, hey Joseph, I, I appreciated this one moment we shared together this year and I wanted to wish you and your family happy new year, happy holiday. So next person, hey Julia, I appreciated one thing, this one thing about us this year, wishing you the same, right? So you're saying the same message, you're just replacing the name and the one compliment that you're personalizing for that person. And for somebody who never receives video messages, which is most people, it's shocking to them in a way that really creates impact for them. Okay. So then what do you recommend in regards to the first two? Because obviously the, the last one, you would create a, a custom message that, that basically is your template and, and you just swap out the names. So the first two, the random word exercise and the the question drill. What do you recommend in regards to developing those random words and those random questions? For sure, Joseph. So so there's, there's a lot of nuances we can go into, but I think the most important one, then we could dive into it, is are we doing it or not? Like, I know it's a simple question, but it's one that most of us aren't doing. You know, I think, I think the challenge whenever I come on a podcast that I have to deal with is 95% of people listening to this are not booking 15 minutes in their calendar every single day to do all three exercises. Let's break that down. What does that 15 minutes of practice look like every day? Not doing it well. This is what I always tell my clients. We don't get points for doing it well. We get points for doing it a lot. We don't look up to the guy who goes to the gym once a year. We really admire the guy or the gal who goes to the gym every single day for a year and never misses a day, even if they're only in the gym for 10 minutes. That's who we admire. So it's the same thing in the context of exercises. If we break down that 15 minutes, five of those minutes go to the random word exercise. One minute for each word, five words a day. Simple. The next five minutes go to one question. So you should have a list and we could talk about how to develop that list very easily and just answer one question every day. And the third one is the video message. Video message is really simple takes five minutes to send three of them. So just send three of them every day. Pick three new people. You, one easy way to do this, go to Facebook, see whose birthday it is today or on LinkedIn, and then you know who the three people you're sending video messages to. Happy birthday. Hope you're having a great day. That's it. Super simple. In terms of the structure you were asking about, I would say for the random word exercise, the best way to do this is honestly with somebody else. That could be a coach, but if you can't afford one, I love families. Like if you live with other people, that's a great way to do the exercise with. Just have them give you random words like spoon or bed or uh, ceiling, things like that. For the question drill, one strategy I personally used to generate questions so I never have to write my own, I just get them from my audience. I'm actually practicing the question drill in real time with you, Joseph, because you're just asking me questions. Obviously, most, some people might not have the luxury of being a podcast guest. So for those listening to this podcast, there's two things you can do. One, you can go directly to the person you want to serve and just listen to the questions they ask you. 
if you're a thought leader, one thing you could do, if you haven't been on many podcasts, go to an episode that is similar to your expertise. So let's say I'm a communication professional. I'll listen to an interview of a communication professional being interviewed, and I'll write down all of the questions that the host asked them, and I'll just come up with my own answers. Simple as that. Interesting. That is really some helpful tips. And you've really broken down how to tackle each of those exercises. And definitely schedule it. It's the key to any way of mastering your schedule and your to-do list. So with these principles, Brendan, as our foundation, how can we use them to assist us in being able to communicate effectively? Right. So now how does this transition? How does the system transition to the real world? Here's the way I like to see it, Joseph. Communication is a multiplier effect. So let me give you an example. Let's say we followed my process. So let's go, let's recap the 18 ball analogies so far. Ball one is the random word exercise. Pick a word, give a presentation. Ball two is the question drill, right? Take a question every day, answer it. And ball three is sending video messages. So how does this tie into the multiplier effect of communication? Here's what happens, Joseph. If we do the random word exercise a hundred times, we don't do it well, we just do it a hundred times, which means five minutes a day for three weeks. That's it. If you do it every day for three weeks for five minutes a day, you will hit a hundred times. So what happens? What happens in that context, my friend, is you get better at thinking on your feet. But a lot of people are thinking right now, oh, I get better with presentations. Not just presentations. Think about small talk. When you're engaging in a conversation with a stranger, that conversation by definition is improvisation. Why? Because you haven't pre-planned with the person. Hey, Joseph, by the way, we're going to talk and have a coffee tomorrow. And this is exactly the dialogue we're going to use in that conversation when we meet each other. That's how the world works. We have no idea what's going to happen in that conversation, how it's going to go, what questions are going to be asked. So the random word exercise size serves a multitude of purposes, not just about speaking in a boardroom or in front of a crowd, but also when we do small talk. Let's go to the next exercise, the question drill. That question drill serves so many different purposes. So it's not just about knowing how to answer questions at work. It's also about knowing how to guest on the podcast, speaking as a panelist at a conference, doing sales calls effectively and efficiently. Those are just a, a few examples. Or if we do a stand-up meeting as a CEO, when we get fielded questions during a town hall meeting, or when we're answering questions from the press, notice how that one exercise now serves five or six different purposes in the real world. Same thing with the video message. So the video message doesn't just help us make our friends feel better about their day. Wow, somebody cares enough about me to send me a video message. That's a great purpose, but there's so much more. It's a great business development tool. I send video messages to all my best clients, and that always leads to new business because I stand out from every other service provider. Another great benefit is it helps you create social media content. This helps you build up the confidence to get better on video really rapidly so that you say one day, yes, I'm ready to create video content for the wider public. So the point that I'm trying to drive for you here to, to tie a bow on this, Joseph, is when we practice one thing, it leads to three to four other outcomes. That's why I believe communication is a multiplier effect. Okay. So with it being a multiplier effect, Brendan, we've you've covered a lot of ways of, of how to speak effectively and how to think on our feet. 
So with that, again, using the foundation principles that you presented, how can we ensure that when we are speaking effectively, thinking on our feet, that we're understood? Right. So what I would say in that case, Joseph, it's a fantastic question. In the context of being understood, that creates a different frame. So one is we're, we're getting better at speaking through the random word exercise. But now being understood is a different set of exercises, which is simply this. Are we taking the time to ask thoughtful questions from the person that we want to impress, from the person that we want to disseminate our message to in a way that improves the way that we communicate our ideas? I'll give you an example. Obviously, when I started guessing on podcasts or when I started Master Talk, it doesn't seem obvious now, but I sucked. I was really bad. I was all over the place. I was a kid when I started Master Talk. So, whenever I was sharing an idea about communication, often the response was, Huh? What do you mean? I don't really get it. How do I apply that in my life? What does structure mean in a speech? So you would just get all of these questions, especially from the kids I started coaching. That's how I started my career. If you're talking to a five-year-old and the exercises aren't simple, they won't apply it. They won't understand it. So what did I do? Did I get frustrated like most people? Absolutely. But then I did something about it, which is I sat down my ideal audience down, Joseph, for long dinners. We're talking three, four-hour dinner conversations. And I would just ask them questions. And I'll give your, your viewers, your listeners, a couple of these questions they can take home and implement. One that I got from Kevin Systrom. If you had to remove one part about my speech or my ideas, what would you remove and why? What I love about Kevin's question is that it forces in points of improvement. So you can't say, how was the speech? Most people just go, yeah, it was great, and then they just leave. Whereas if you go up to somebody and you say, you had to remove something from my product, from my experience, from my coaching, from my videos, from this podcast episode, what would you remove and why? That's question one. Question number two is if you were to communicate my ideas back to me, why would you communicate them and why? Another way of saying that question is what did what resonated from you from what I just shared? If you were to communicate what I just said, how would you explain it? What did you hear? So when you re-listen to their answers, you could figure out really quickly if they got the message that you intended. What did you get from that? And you listen, you go, oh, that's not what I was attending, and you change it. Or did you mean this? Just a couple of frames of the same idea here. And then the third question that I love is if you were in my shoes, how would you communicate my ideas differently? So if you were me, Joseph, how would you do this differently? How would you communicate it differently? And that's where you get those insights from those conversations. Okay, so let's flip this. Part of the challenge that neodivergents have is understanding the other party. I know in my case, regardless if it's a verbal communication or a written communication, I always have to go back and ask for clarity to get a better understanding. In these cases, I'm occasionally met with resistance. I'm obviously not understanding, but they don't see it that way. With your principles and experience, how can I and others get that clarity? For sure, Joseph. So what I would say is there's a couple of points to add. One is I would always emphasize to practice with the relationships you care the most about your life. So I'll give you a very specific example. Let's say we take a significant other. It's really important to understand that person because they're your life partner. So in that case, 
they're the best person to practice all of this on because if they married you or they're with you in a relationship, they're very invested in making sure you understand everything. But it doesn't have to be a significant other. It could be a best friend. It could be somebody that you have to spend a lot of time talking to your parents. That's the frame. So I would start practicing with them to refine, to sharpen that blade so that you can then apply that same skill set to other people. The other thing that I would say is even if I'm I'm not neurodivergent or neurodiverse, I still ask a ton of clarifying questions. But I think the energy that I exude when I ask the question doesn't create resistance. So I'll give you an example of two ways of asking for clarification and it's obvious how one is better than the other. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Version 1 well, I didn't really understand this, Joseph. Do you mind repeating yourself, please? Because I'm, I'm really lost right now. Versus version two. Joseph, thanks so much for sharing those points. I really appreciate it. Do you mind just expanding on point number two? I had some trouble understanding that, if you could. Do we see the difference, Joseph? I'm still asking for clarification, but the energy that I am exuding in version two is far superior to version one. Whereas even if the outcome is the same, the energy that I'm exuding in version one is threatening, aggressive. And I'm not saying anyone in this audience is doing version one necessarily. But what I am doing is I'm opening the door of possibility to say, where am I leaning towards? Am I leaning towards version one or version two? When I, Especially when emotions come into play. Because we get frustrated, right? Whether you're neurodivergent or not, you get frustrated when you don't know the answer to something, when you're having trouble clarifying. But now the question becomes, how do we respond in context of that frustration? And trust me, I grew up with a a short temper because my dad always had a temper. So it took me a long time to, to figure that out. And I'm sure all of us can do a better job at focusing on version two versus one. Well, absolutely. My, I definitely have a short temper, something that's still a work in progress. Many dyslexics I tend to have what's the word I'm looking for, not liking criticism or, or being quick to, to respond. Uh, so definitely requires taking a step back and taking a breath before you can articulate properly without having that hostility. So let's go back to the example that you gave regarding working with a significant other or best friend. Now, you, these are relationships that you have, you have had. So I take it you're, you're suggesting this because they know you best on how to point out how you're communicating and whether or not you are communicating effectively and whether or not they understand you and articulating whether or not that if they don't understand you, that the other party won't understand you. That's the reason why you're making that suggestion? That's correct. And, and take it with a grain of salt, Joseph. So so the reason I recommended that, you don't have to do it by any means. Just pick somebody that, that is invested in you so you can practice without that resistance is, is my business partner. My business partner's son, who's around 12 years old right now, has autism and, and the spectrums is, is, the, is pretty high. So in that case, what happens is that he doesn't really have a lot of friends. He probably has two or three friends currently outside of his parents. So most of his interactions are with his speech pathologist to work on his speech and his accent. 
And the other time that he's spending, based on the knowledge I have about their family, is spent with his parents. So that's who he's practicing with to keep the eye contact because he's not being met with resistance. Whenever he raises his voice, his parents are very calm and they're able to, to, to manage that. So that's why I always argue that it makes sense to focus on those relationships first. But you can really focus on anyone who's, who you think you'll get the result faster from. I want to share with you a new program that I've put together to bring awareness and to up-level the skills of employers and managers. This workshop aids in building a more inclusive environment in the workplace for neo-divergent talent and in developing the skills of managers to be more engaging with their teams. Reach out to me on my website to learn more about this amazing program. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's kind of use that example then in regards to, to your partner's son in the sense that, that they have a limited resources of who they can go to to help develop their, their communication to ensure that they understood. With someone in that particular situation and they are in a workplace situation dealing with a colleague or manager, what do you recommend? Right. So, so let me start with the easiest frame, Joseph. Because obviously the answers will get more and more nuanced as we as the conversation continues. So the first thing that I want to make sure everyone get is there's three exercises we can do without the company that will 100% lead to growth in our communication. And then the, how we deal with the conversation with the manager becomes a stack on top of that foundation. So I'll give you an example of my partner's son. He hasn't entered the workforce yet because he's 13 years old, 12, 13. But doing the random work exercise really helped him. Because now he's a lot more comfortable in speaking. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But he's a lot more comfortable with the deal with the uncertainty. He has a lot less anxiety now around speaking than he used to. Same thing around the question drills. Because he was forced to answer a ton of questions, his anxiety just goes a lot down. Because the, the number of questions he'll get asked on a daily basis is far lower than the level of questions he's practiced beforehand. Same thing with sending video messages. The fact that he's sending those private video messages, so it's not like a public figure, when you're doing that to your parents and, and they give them that positive encouragement, whether you're 12 or whether you're 52 years old, it's the same encouragement you get. People are always uh, excited. I just got a message this morning about a video message I sent yesterday, and it's from an SVP of a company. And she said, oh, I never, I never get video messages. This really made my day. So this applies across the board. And then what happens is it really increases the confidence. So we need to do those three things. But now going to your question now, how do we deal with those same conversations with the manager? It's, it's, it's not easy to answer this question, I will admit, but I, let me give you a free, few frames and ideas and how I would think about it. One, focus on understanding versus being understood. So especially it's important being within that neurodivergent community that people understand your needs so that they don't uh, they don't ding your performance for reasons that have nothing to do with your performance. So that's definitely important. But I think human nature, I've always believed, Joseph, is about be is is understanding others first. So what I would focus a lot of the conversation on is understanding the goals and priorities of the people around me and learning to take notes. So what this does is it improves the rapport and the relationship and gets what we call in the corporate world buy-in. So when you have buy-in from staff, from leaders, from people around you, they become a lot more forgiving if you accidentally make a mistake. And that applies across the board. It's not necessarily just for the specific community we're speaking to today. 
So then after that, you build that relationship, they'll naturally ask you what your priorities are. And that's when you can bring it up. Hey, this is something I'm, uh, this is something, a, condi uh, a condition, a situation that I'm in right now. This is how it might impede my work, you know, the work that I'm in. So let's work on this together to make sure that we're st I'm still performing as per the expectations of the rule. That's the second piece. And then the last piece is what we call informal touch points. Make a list of the top five or 10 leaders within your organization and just ask yourself, what are some ways and how we can deliver value to them based on the goals? Let me give you an easy way to do this that nobody does in the corporate world. Let's say you're coaching me, Joseph, and you're my boss at the company, and you find out that one of my goals this year is to really get better at swimming. I have, a, I have a fear of swimming. I want to get better at swimming outside of working hours. So what you do is three months later, you send me a book about swimming and say, hey, Brent, I was just thinking about you. I think this book will really help you with swimming. That's what we call a small informal touch point that adds value and actually requires no speaking whatsoever. So having those notes, listening, and seeing what other people value will make them much more forgiving about any mistake and create a safety net for you in corporate to excel in your career. Those are some really great advice. And what that basically you're saying is building a relationship and engaging with the other person in order to, for them to have that understanding and have that, that connection with you that they didn't have before, or even breaking down the barriers of a manager-employee relationship by having that engagement. Absolutely. So this now brings us into an area where some neodivergents, including myself, have developed speaking skills. What can you share with, or frankly, expand on further on what you have shared with us on how to further develop those skills? For sure. So let's go back to that 18 ball recap. So we started with the random word exercise, went to the video message. Then we went to the question drill. Ball four is the best way to speak is to speak. So if we just sit here and we don't book 50 minutes in the calendar, we can't get better every day. Let's go to ball five now. Ball five, Joseph, is what I call the puzzle method. This is an efficient way for us to structure and present presentations. Think about it. As kids, we loved jigsaw puzzles. Those little pieces you kind of put together from a box, some of them come in 500 pieces or 1,000 pieces. So the question now, Joseph, that we need to ask ourselves is when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first and why? And the answer is the edges, the corner pieces. And the reason is because they're easier to find in the box and they're easier to put together. Because when you do the corners of a jigsaw puzzle, you can work your way into the middle. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because in communication, when we structure a presentation, unfortunately, we do the opposite. We shove a bunch of content in our presentation. Shove, 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 shove. We get to the presentation and we ramble throughout the whole thing. And then the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so I guess, uh, I guess I'm done. Not the best approach. So instead, what you want to do is practice and prepare speeches like a jigsaw puzzle, Joseph. Start with the edges first. Practice just your introduction 25 times. 25 seems like a big number, Joseph, but it really isn't. Because if you do two minutes of practice, because your intro is really short, it'll only take you an hour to do it 25 times. It's actually not that hard. Same thing for the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, 
terrible movie. Do the same thing with the clothes for two minutes, right? So it'll take another hour. Then work your way into the middle. If you practice in that specific sequence, the level of efficiency and effectiveness of your presentations will skyrocket. Really interesting approach. Start with the edges. Work on the intro, then work on the out on the ending, and then work in the middle. It's a really interesting approach. It's it's so it's what some writers do. You know, they they write the the, the beginning first, and then they write the ending first, and then they work on what's how, how that's gonna how that's gonna formulate from beginning to end. So there's this recent phenomenon, or perhaps it's it's not new, but it's currently trending, which is storytelling. And you've mentioned storytelling at the beginning of of our podcast. So with guidance. What can you share on how to be a worthwhile storyteller in our speaking and communication? For sure, Joseph. So let's start with the context first. For me, storytelling is like ball 15 out of my 18 ball analogy. And the reason's really simple, because if our foundation isn't fixed, we can't really tell great stories. I'll give you a great, I'll give you an example right now. Yeah, so uh, Joseph, growing up as a kid, uh, my mother used to always buy me, notice how if I don't have the foundations, the story just falls flat. So practice the foundations. But with those practice, let's talk about storytelling. Very simple. Les Brown says it best. Never make a point without telling a story and never tell a story without making a point. What does Les Brown mean by this quote? What he means, to keep it simple, Joseph, is that every great story has a key lesson. What is the lesson that I actually want to teach my audience? But the problem with most of us in storytelling is we focus too much on the story and not enough on the lesson. And I'm sure we all have that friend in our life who says, hey, Joseph, this is what happened to me last week. And he just keeps going on and on and on and on and it's been like 25 minutes and you're like dude like when is the story ending <laughs> and because there's no key lesson so instead what we want to do is we want to do the exact opposite which is start with the lesson first make a list of five lessons that you want to teach people in your life in general never give up uh, the best way to speak is to speak Anyone can be a great speaker. You should cook at home versus ordering out all the time. It doesn't matter what the key idea is. Write them down. Circle the one you're the most excited about. Let's say uh, working out every day really helps your life. And then for that one key outcome, find five to ten different stories from your personal life or from the stories of other people that you feel nail this home. And then what you do is you circle the winner. So I'll give you an example of how I've applied that framework. My key idea always is I believe any human being on earth can be an exceptional communicator, provided they have the minimal skill set, which is being able to vocalize ideas. So now, how do I prove that? There's 10 different ways I could prove that. I could tell you a story about another speaker, about how they, they were really bad. Nick Vujicic, Vujicic is such a great example of this. He has no arms, no legs, very successful motivational speaker. Man, if that guy could do it, anyone could. So I could use the stories of other people. I could give an analogy comparing stories to life. Or I could just do what works the best that I've seen the best results from, which is my own personal story. I grew up in Montreal, spoke French as a second language my entire life, was deathly afraid of communication because I didn't know the language. That's one. Two, I got a broken left arm. So I have a physical disability because of a surgery I had when I was younger. So it's still crooked to this day, yet I coach some of the most prominent CEOs in the world. And 
I studied literally the opposite of what I do today. You'd think a communication expert studied comms. I got a bachelor's degree in accounting. If I could do it, why can't you? So notice how that's the story, Joseph, that I selected for the key lesson that now it ultimately leads to. What's really interesting about that and what you shared here is that it, it all goes back, from my perspective, to those three key foundations that you gave at the very beginning. So when you said make a list of the five key lessons that you want to share, that can easily be the five random words or or the or the question exercise, uh, which was a uh, exercise number two that you gave about practicing those and developing the presentation skills and and how you're going to tell them differently every time because obviously the lesson of one particular story, you may not tell it the same way the first or fifth time that you told it. So it helps you practice those and it always comes back to that foundation. Absolutely. I completely agree. It always goes back to the foundation because I could give a 200 tips today. I've probably given like 40 or 50 so far in the conversation. But the problem is if we don't work on it, it's really difficult to keep leveling up because like ball 10 to 18 is way more advanced, right? It's doing moths, storytelling, taking random people's stories and saying them as if you're them. It's karaokeing in languages you don't understand. It's doing rapping. Like it's really a little bit more advanced. But I think the key is as we build up that momentum, going back to juggling 18 balls at the same time, if you're juggling three of those balls, that's really impressive. Most people can't even juggle one ball. So if you could do the random word exercise, the question draw, the video message, people are looking at you. Like, let's say you're on the street and you're juggling three balls at the same time. Sure, a lot of people can still do that, but the people around you probably don't. So they're really impressed. Like, wow, you can juggle three balls at the same time? And I see it the same way with communication. Sure, there's 18 things that you could do, and hopefully I'm doing all 18 as I'm speaking to you right now, as I should. Just doing three puts you ahead of the game. That's why I always say, Joseph, people can write this down on a piece of paper. If you communicate 20% better than your competition, you will stand out 100% of the time. Let me repeat that one again. If you communicate 20% better than your competition, you'll stand out 100% of the time. What does that mean? It means that most people don't send video messages. Most people don't do the random word exercise. Most people don't do the question drill in the same way that if you just show up at the gym, you're going to be 80% of people. And I don't mean this as a competition. I just mean this as a way for you to stand out at the world is if you just do a little bit more, you'll get a lot more results. Fantastic. That's really great advice. So I want to take what you said there, the juggling and the practicing, the 20% of basically what others are not doing. Let's close off here, Brendan, with a question and a statement. Neodivergence can have a difficulty in expressing their experiences and skills, whether that's in a job interview or with a manager or client. Taking all of that that you have taught us and what you've shared with us, how can one present an effective value proposition of their professional experience? For sure, Joseph, fast, fantastic question. So let me give you a few pointers for job interviews specifically. So I'm glad you asked that. One, which has nothing to do with even structuring your thoughts. It's more of a tip that will greatly increase your odds of getting a, a job or increase your value prop 
is to play team. What does that mean? When I was looking for a job a long time ago, probably five years ago, when I was on the job market, which I'm not anymore, obviously, back then, what I did is I chose three other people who actually wanted the same job as me, and I practiced with them every day. Why is that? Because that sounds counterintuitive. Because, Brandon, you're competing against these people. Like, if you are getting doing the same work that they're doing and they get the job and you don't, what was the point of doing all that work? And I heavily disagree with that. Let me explain why. If you work on a job search process or an interview setting on your own, it gets really exhausting really fast. Even if you have a career coach, it just gets really exhausting. You're like, oh my God, I want to do this. Whereas when you got your buddies looking at your CV, your cover letter who are rooting for you, even if it's just one person, it really gives you energy. And let's assume they all get jobs and you don't. Guess who is going to get referred first from any of those people? You. You're the person who stayed up every night helping their cover letter, asking them questions, looking at the answers and going, I wouldn't answer it that way. So all of the, your friends that you help place are still going to find you a job. That's how I found a job really quickly when I wanted one because that's what I did. So play team. The second piece that I highly recommend for this community, which I literally did when I was in my job search a long time ago, is write down the answers. Let's go back to the question drill, Joseph. Every single day, one interview question, write out the full answer so you don't have to make up structure on the spot. Example, day one, tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself is really simple. You start with what is your one key idea? So mine was always, you know, my name is Brendan Kumar Swami and I have a passion to help others achieve rocket ship level success. That's my that's my key idea. And then I go into my three points, the three key experiences, the three most important ones for the job. So in my case, it was my professional experience at PricewaterhouseCoopers, leading a lot of CFOs and financial executives to look at their sustainability audits. That was the first one. The second one was team building, the leadership skills I developed leading my case competition teams when I was in college and university. That's how I became a great communication coach. And the third piece was raising money for a nonprofit called Charity Water and uh, having the resilience to – I feel like I'm in a job interview right now – having the resilience to, uh, to help, help the CEO of the, fa the founder sell like 200 copies of the book just through willpower. And then the last part of Tell Me About Yourself, Joseph, is tying in your experiences to why you're excited to interview today. So it, it would sound something like, and this is why I believe – uh, the next step in my journey is to really work, let's say, as a transformation consultant within McKinsey or IBM because of XYZ reason. So that's a clear structure for tell me about yourself. But that's but the principle is more important, which is every day just do a brand new question. Day two, it's what are your main weaknesses? Day three, I literally wrote down, even if I'm great with verbal communication, back then I would still write down on a Word document every question. So when I got into an interview, my goodness, like there wasn't a question they could ask me that I didn't know the answer to already. And that's just putting in the time. Right, right. I want to clarify, when you say play team, you said practice with the people who, are, who you're competing against for the same job. Obviously, then these are people that, that you would have to know. 
because otherwise you wouldn't know who applied. That's correct. So let me clarify as well. So the way you're prioritizing this, Joseph, is really your friends. So people around you. And then within that sphere, you want to prioritize people who are landing similar jobs so they can give you the best feedback. But of course, if you don't have people in that, that field, two ways of approaching this. One is just work with friends who are applying for different jobs. The effect is still the same. But the other strategy is look harder, put a little bit more effort into it. Go to your consulting association, go to your, go to places and meetups where people are looking for those jobs. So let's say you want a job in technology, go sign up for a technology association membership. It's like a hundred bucks a year. Do the digging, put in the time so that you can find the proximity you need to succeed. Okay, fantastic. And thank you for clearing that up. So I lied. There is one last question, which is, Brendan, how can my listeners find you and reach out to you? Absolutely, Joseph. Great conversation. Thanks for having me on the show. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second way to keep in touch is by attending one of my free communication workshops over Zoom. So if you want to see me apply all the tips that we talked about today on a Zoom call in real time so that you can learn a lot more, I would encourage you to go to rockstarcommunicator.com and sign up for our next free workshop. Fantastic. And that's a great offer and for people to get in touch with you. So Brendan, I truly appreciate you for being an amazing guest and for sharing your thoughts and experience with us on how to be effective communicators and public speakers. I also want to thank you, my continued listeners, for your amazing support of this podcast. I also encourage you to continue to support this podcast so I can truly bring you more amazing content. You can do so by visiting my Patreon page where you can connect with me more directly with several options. Till next time, take a leap and transform.